for us and gave us David to speak to us. Amen. Yeah, thank you very much, Justin. Good to be here again, and thank you for your warm welcome as ever. Um, when I um, started doing the preparation for today, and I'm here this evening as well, uh, I got a little bit of a shock because the two passages I've been given, Matthew 23 this morning and Exodus chapter 9 this evening, it's all about God's judgment. I thought, well, the Lord must have it in for those folk down at Great Parks. <laughs> but uh, we've got to be true to the Word of God. And uh, I, I feel there is a message for us today in, uh, in what we're going to read here from, uh, from the Scriptures. So this morning we're looking at Matthew chapter 23. I'm not going to read it all uh, to start off with. We'll read the first 12 verses and then we'll read a section by section as we go through. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 23. Uh, commencing at verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowd and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi. For you have only one master, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. The greatest among you will be your servant, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself Will be exalted. So the Lord is really, really giving it to them. In the previous chapters, and you would have uh, seen these, I expect, um, or gone through these in recent weeks, uh, the Lord is answering all his critics. We've uh, had the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Palm Sunday. Uh, the Lord is now in Jerusalem, and within a very few days, he's going to be crucified. Uh, all the various branches of the establishment, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they've all come and tested him to try and trip him up, to show that he's uh, an imposter. And Jesus has silenced them all. They, uh, they, they could not stand against the wisdom and the authority by which he spoke. And now having silenced them all, he now then begins to say what he feels. And in this chapter in particular, we have the Lord speaking in judgment against the religious establishment of his day. And uh, in a moment, as we carry on reading, there are seven great criticisms of the so-called people of God at that time. And uh, we, we, we have to go through those this morning. But the Lord is introducing the, uh, the, the criticism he has to make about them. And what's going to happen to them because of their attitude and because of their lifestyle and because of what they're doing. 
then uh, he, he says that this is God's time of judgment upon the whole edifice of these people that sit in Moses' seat. Now, what does it mean, uh, Moses' seat? Well, we're going to look at this a little bit more tonight, but if we study Scripture, we see that the history of humanity has been divided into different eras or ages or dispensations. Not everyone likes the word dispensation, but I do. It's a good word. Uh, But you can have eras, you can have ages, and if we look at God's dealings with humanity since the creation right through to the end of time, we see seven different eras, dispensations, if you like. And uh, when the Lord was here, and in the immediate aftermath, there is a change of era, a change of dispensation. And when the Lord came, it was the end of what we call the age of law, established years before, centuries before, by Moses, when God brought the children of Israel, out of Egypt and into the promised land, he gave them the rules of, uh, of, of worship, of social interaction, of morality. We call it the age of the law. And uh, he gave prophets, he gave priests, he gave various people to look after his people during that time. And uh, the Pharisees and these people that the Lord is addressing is at the tail end of that whole history that's been going on for about 1,500 years or so. Well, we know that after the Lord's death, resurrection, and ascension, the Holy Spirit came, and there was a new era dawned, the day of Pentecost. And that's the church age. And we're in the church age. It's been going on now for 2,000 years. But each of the different ages, and this evening I will go through the different ages, but not this morning, I just want to look at these two, the age of the law, which was coming to an end, and the age of the church, or the age of grace, which was just about to start. But in all the different eras of human uh, living, under God's dispensations, there is a period of judgment at the end of each age. This evening, we have to look at the period of judgment uh, at the end of the previous age, the plagues of Egypt. Uh, but the judgment at the end of the age of the law was what Jesus is talking about here. And he's talking about the judgment that these people deserve because they were supposed to be God's workers, God's uh, people, and they had completely denied every part of that, that uh, work that God had given them to do. The importance for us is this that at the end of the church age, there will also be a period of accounting, a judgment period. And the Bible is telling us very, very clearly that that day is going to happen very quick, very soon. We call it the tribulation. I don't believe the church, those who are truly Jesus, uh, belong to Jesus, will go through the tribulation. Uh, but that's the era of time in which we live. Indeed, in the very next chapter, which I'm not dealing with, it's, uh, I've been asked to deal with 23, but in 24, and I'm sure you'll be looking at this uh, in due course, the disciples come up to Jesus and say, well, what are the signs of the end of this age? And in chapter 24, the Lord not only gives them the signs that will just be round the corner for them of God's judgment on their era, but he then moves on through history to show the signs when we come to the judgment at the end of the church age. That's all in chapter 24. 
So in the same way as the Lord was rounding on his people and said, you have failed. You've got it wrong. You've messed up. So is there anything for us today as we reach the end of the church age that we need to take on board? And that's what's on my heart to share this morning. So here we have the Lord. He's saying, you sit in Moses' seat. You're uh, the people that have held that particular way of, de- uh, of God's dealing with humanity that started with Moses and has continued right through what to us is, is the bulk of the Old Testament times. And you have failed. And God is going to call you to account. You are going to come under condemnation. You are going to come under judgment. And uh, there is a time of judgment for you. They were, in particular, guilty of hypocrisy. They were supposed to be the people of God. They were people, they were supposed to be the leaders of the nation who were demonstrating to the nation God's standards, God's holiness, God's righteousness, and God's goodness, and God's love, and his mercy and grace. And they were doing the very opposite. And the Lord here, as we just read, rounded on them and says, you have not done what you should do. You have completely abandoned God's standards and God's instructions. And uh, you you, you failed. You failed big time. Indeed, uh, I don't want anybody to call you rabbi or teacher or father when you fail to point people to the ultimate rabbi. Rabbi, by the way, means master. When you fail to to point people to the ultimate master, to Father God, and to Christ who is our teacher. Now that itself is a lesson for us, because the church loves to have titles. We love to have uh, status. I am talking about the church as a whole, not this particular church, but in general today. Because the question has to be, and we've already talked about it before the meeting started, one or two of us, what's happening in the church? Why is the church so ineffective today? Why are the people of God uh, in a declining number as we speak? Why is it we find so, it's so difficult to, to actually engage with society and the world around us? It's because uh, we are not pointing people as we should do to the one true master, the one true father, the one true teacher. Indeed, in many churches, you don't get taught the word of God at all today. It's not the proclamation of God's word. Thus says the Lord. And apart from our fellowship and our meeting together, the church's job in this age is in particular to tell the world what God is saying. He is the master. He is the teacher. He is the father. And we're not telling the world what God is saying today. We're listening to the world and trying to adapt to the world's ideas uh, and and not uh, telling them who God is, what he said, We are those who are called to be the mouthpiece of Almighty God, our Creator. And so there is a similarity between what's going on here uh, in Jesus' time and what's going on today. And uh, if God is the true teacher, the true rabbi, the true master, if Jesus is the true Christ, the one who we point people to, then they were denying the character of that God. By hypocrisy and by self-aggrandizement, they were denying the very character of the God in whose name they were supposed to be teaching the people. Are we doing the same today? 
you know, we're not standing up for the truth of biblical creation. Uh, and and uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 1, uh, <clears throat> because we're going along with the ethos of the day, we're denying God's eternal power and his divine nature. We're, we're denying the fact that God can create whatever he wills just by the power of his word. Just by speaking it into existence. By faith we understand that the universe was made at the word of God's command. That's our scripture. And by just saying that God has, um, well, he, he's limited by the um, laws of the universe and so on. We're, the, we're bringing God down to the level of man's understanding. Instead of saying, now listen, God is able to do whatever he wants to do and whatever he has promised to do. He is almighty God. And uh, in particular, he is uh, going to overrule the laws of nature to achieve his purposes. And he did before. In creation, he'll do it again. We've denied the, uh, uh, the character of God. By the way, we've uh, <coughs> adapted to all sorts of morality, to all sorts of man-made ideas uh, of lifestyle and so on today. And we're not demonstrating to the world the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, the justice of God. And, and that's, that's, that's where we're falling short, as they did. So the Lord is addressing this issue. God gave you authority to look after this nation and through Israel to declare to the world the character of God. You failed. And therefore you're going to have judgment. And maybe on the church today we've come to this point where the Lord is saying, I can't use you. And church after church after church is closing down. Ministry. Do you know, I believe that Billy Graham's passing earlier this year marked the end of an era. Since the Second World War, we've had a great explosion of evangelism. Remember in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s? We used to take our young people up to uh, Colson Hall one Saturday evening a month in Bristol. I live in Bridgewater. And uh, <coughs> they, uh, <coughs> Colson Hall actually jam-packed with young people uh, <coughs> uh, 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 for rallies once a month. Uh, large Sunday schools. The gospel being preached in church and chapel after church and chapel. Uh, and where's it gone now? We're in a terrible situation. And the Lord is speaking to us as he's speaking to them in their day. Let's just see what he points out to these people as we look at these seven woes or criticisms or condemnations. First of all, in verses 13 and 14. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. <clears throat> you shut the kingdom of God in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. And uh, they were keeping people away from the kingdom of God by, by promoting a false idea that you've got to have a certain status, come from a certain strata in society. You've got to come from the right side of the tracks in order to be acceptable to God. And others, we just abandon them. Uh, and, and they're beyond the pale. Where's the love that we should have for everyone? Very often our churches are so middle of the road, middle class, <laughs> and so on. Uh, have we got that heart for the lost? Uh, as we see the drug addicts, as we see the destitute, as we see those who have, have just not made it in society, if we've seen those 
that have somehow got on the right side. I, I think particularly of young people growing up today, kids growing up today, and they probably don't even know their father, many of them, or they haven't got that sort of stability in their life uh, and, 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 and no love. And, and, and then in their teenage years, they just go off the rails. Uh, and, and we criticize and we condemn. Well, yes, the law needs to be met, but what of our hearts? Lord, we just pray for these broken lives, for these people that are so helpless because they haven't had the human experience that they deserve as human beings in upbringing and so on because of our wayward and fractured society. Do we realize that we're creating such a a mess of brokenness and we're just not praying them into the kingdom. We're just not yearning for God to move in power like Isaiah. Lord, rend the heavens and come down again. Uh, and the brokenness all around us. And, and these Pharisees say, oh, no, no, no. I, I'm much better than that poor publican there. Uh, and I, I'm grateful that I'm not like them. And that's the sort of people they were. And Jesus is saying, you're condemned because you're criticizing others and keeping them out of the kingdom by your attitude. And the gospel needs to go to the whosoever will and to all. And we need to have that heart of compassion for all around, whatever their circumstances. And then verse 15, the second woe. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. They were engaging in personality cults. They wanted their own uh, followers, those who would look to them and them alone instead of pointing them to God. Are we guilty in the church today of having personality cults? Of having followers of this particular guru or that particular person? In our churches, are we following the denominational labels that we've grown up with? It, it, it worries me when people say, well, I'm a... I'm not pointing the finger at these churches. I'm just using them as examples. I'm an Anglican or I'm a Baptist or I'm a Methodist or I'm a Brethren. No, you're a Christian. There's only one church. We're all part of it. And uh, God's standard is that within an area, we're all part of the one church. And God has given his gifts to everyone within that area. But we like our labels. We like our, our followers. And the Lord is saying, You've, you, you make every effort to get one proselyte. And then he's yours. No, <laughs> it should be Christ's. As we look at the comparison with the church. And so there's this personality cult going on. And then thirdly, the third woe, verses 16 to 22. Woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. You blind fools. When, uh, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on it, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and the one who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. 
And so the, uh, here, the, the material trappings of religion was more important than God. All the gifts that we have, the gold that we have, yes, that's the important thing. The, 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 the facade, the glory, that's far more important than the God that gave us those things in the first place and the God in whose house these things are to be found. He says you're looking at the objects, the material objects of religion instead of, of the true nature of faith, which is to adore the God who created us and to worship the Christ that saved us. And how much of the church today is so much bothered with all the artifacts, the wealth, the, art, the artistry, the architecture and so on. And I appreciate good architecture and all the rest of it, the music, as much as the next. But that's what Christianity is known for now in so many areas. Not the humility, the humbleness, the, 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 the lowliness and the fact that we're just people of God. We've just sung about, uh, you know, blessed be the name of the Lord, even in poverty, even in bad circumstances. We quoted Job, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We're here to show that our lives are not bound by the riches of the church, by the wealth of our traditions, but by the relationship we have with Almighty God. And that was what Jesus was condemning them for. Verses 23 and 24. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter, Without neglecting the former, you blind guides. You strain at a gnat, but swallowed a camel. <coughs> Excuse me. This is a very important one, actually. Because here the Lord is talking all about the tithes. They've forgotten the real purpose of the law, which includes tithing, and tre- uh, uh, changing it into uh, just legalism. The law of tithing was this, very briefly, that they were to regard, in the Old Testament under Moses, they were to regard one-tenth of their income as God's portion. It wasn't theirs to give to God. It was, their, uh, it was given to them by God to use as he had instructed. Uh, and there's a, 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 a lovely uh, study of tithing in the Old Testament. Uh, and Two years out of three, they were to take that tenth, which often was in the form of animals or or produce, uh, not just cash, in that sort of society. They were to take it to the temple in Jerusalem, and it was to be used for the support of all those people that ran the temple and ran the, 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 uh, the worship of the whole nation, and also to distribute amongst the poor of Jerusalem. Two years in every three. The tenth was given to them by God to use, and God said, and that's what I want you to do with it two years out of every three. The third year, their tithe was to go to the local synagogue or the local priests who were to use it for distribution amongst the poor of their community. It was a social security network. That was the whole purpose of tithing. That's why in Malachi, the Lord says, you have stolen from me. Oh, have we stolen? Because you've denied the tithes which I used to help those in need. That was why I gave you that tithe. That's what I gave you that for, to use. But you've used it for your own aggrandizement. 
And here they are, they were <coughs> so legalistic about the tithe that these people, when they have the little seeds, the, uh, tithe, the, the dill and the cumin and, and, uh, and, and the spices, they would pour them out on a table and count out the little seeds. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine for me, one for God. Nine for me, one for God. He says, you are legalistic to the nth degree, but you forgot the real purpose of the law, which is justice and mercy and goodness to all. That's your responsibility. But you're so preoccupied with your own legalistic righteousness, you've forgotten the real purpose of God's law. And as Christians, are we uh, guilty of using our Christianity, our faith, our good, clean living maybe, to just uh, almost try to show other people up, to make it look as if we're holier than thou? Or are we saying, Lord, if you give me any gifting at all, if you've done any work in my life, if the Holy Spirit has changed me, then it's to make me more useful as a servant, to make me a better uh, uh, ambassador for Jesus Christ, to make me a person that others can see and know that Jesus is alive. Instead of being so self-righteous, he's saying, you've got to really look at the purpose of God's rules. <laughs> which are not onerous, without to restrict us. They're not religious rules like other religions have. They're to make us amb- uh, ambassadors for God's love and glory in a lost world. And so that's the point that he's making there. And then we go on in verse 25, 26. <clears throat> Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish. But inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees first clean the inside of the cup and dish. And then the outside will also be clean. And the, um, for, for, for them, the outward appearance was all important. You know, we were talking just beforehand about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And uh, it, it's inside And outwardly, we may just be ordinary people. We may not have wealth and riches and glory. But it's the inside that matters. That's what the Lord is interested in. You know, what's going on in our minds? What's going on in our hearts? What's going on in our attitudes? What's going on in our habits? What's going on in our own wills? What's going on in our personalities? Have we just opened ourselves up to the Holy Spirit completely? Jesus, you are changing me, we sometimes sing. And he's saying, no, 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 you're not looking at the character you are. You're only looking at the facade you bear. And he says, you're you're under condemnation because of that. The work of Jesus is to deal with us on the inside first, to change us, to mold us. You've heard me say this before, you know, but I found as I get older, I don't necessarily sin less. I just sin differently. You know, when we're younger, it may be the more open and obvious physical sins we we, we get up to. But inwardly, as we get older, it's those things of the heart, the jealousy, the bitterness, the pride, the false motives, the two-facedness sometimes, the, uh, the unforgiveness, the way in which we hold grudges. Are we letting the Lord deal with the inside? And he said, you Pharisees, you're not interested. It's only the outward appearance that you're bothering with. Woe to you, he said. Verses 27, 28. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. 
You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And so he's saying you have deliberate hypocrisy. You know exactly what you're doing. You've got a conscience, but you've stifled it. And you are deliberately being hypocritical. Are we being hypocritical? Do we live the life on Monday that we profess to live on Sunday? Is there any taint of hypocrisy in our walk with Jesus? Uh, Are there areas that we'd rather other people just don't know about? Uh, The Lord knows. We've said that already. He knows every hair on our head, as Kevin was saying in his prayer. And uh, it's that hypocrisy that the Lord is getting at in this one. You're hypocrites. And uh, you present lovely exterior, but you just don't care about what's going on inside. And then 29 to 32 is the seventh condemnation, the seventh woe. Uh, Verse 29. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the sin of your forefathers. uh, And the Lord's seventh condemnation is you're following in the footsteps of those you condemn. You're doing exactly what they did. You're saying, oh yes, (laughs) Yeah, we won't like them. But you read Isaiah chapter 1. Not now. It's almost the same as what the Lord is saying here. The Lord says, you know, I've had enough of the falseness. I've had enough of the artificiality, the superficiality. I've had enough of it. If you hold up hands in prayer, I'm not going to listen to you anymore. This is all in Isaiah chapter 1. He said, because you don't mean it. It's not real. There's no power in it. Uh, and And... It's only hypocrisy. I'm fed up with it. The Lord is having to say, and you're just the same in these days. The Lord's saying this, not necessarily to condemn us, but to ask us to say, well, (laughs) are we showing any signs of what they were condemned for? And then finally, 33 to 39, what the Lord then rounds off by saying, You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore I am sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify, others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel, to the blood of Zechariah, son of Barakiah, who you murdered between the temple and the altar. I tell you the truth, all this will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together. The hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, Your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
And so the Lord says, yes, I've been very straight with you. I've told you like it is, but I love you. I love you just as you are. Oh, how I would have gathered you, but I just can't now. You'll carry on, and you'll carry on, and you'll carry on. And within days, they'd managed to get Jesus crucified. We think of Stephen. Stephen in the very early months, years of the Christian church. And Stephen's before the Sanhedrin, these very same people, he's telling them again. Acts chapter 7, one of the most brilliant summaries of the Old Testament we have in Scripture. And they were so appalled, they went out and stoned him to death. And they were. They were totally unrepentant. And the Lord is saying, this is judgment. You're going to lose your land. You're going to lose your city. You're going to lose your temple. And that's exactly what happened to them in the next 40 or 50 years. By the way, it's not that Israel was cast off forever. They were dispersed to the four corners of the earth, those who sat at Moses' seat, the descendants of Israel. But God's promises are yea and amen. And he did say, and it's been uh, repeated time and time again in Scripture, yes, they would face the judgment on the era that they had, and they did, within decades of the Lord's death and resurrection. And they were dispersed to the four corners of the earth. But the Lord said, if my dispersing of the Jewish nation of Israel was for the benefit of the Gentiles so that the church age could come in, then what would be their gathering back together but life from the dead? Romans chapter 11. Because God's covenant promised to the Jews through Abraham for his descendants and the land in which they live is an eternal covenant. And as we come to the period of judgment, the end of this age, the end of the church age, the Lord is gathering Israel back. And the Lord said, I will leave you until you're ready to say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. They didn't say that the first time Jesus came. But they're going to say it next time. And as Israel, other than those who have uh, accepted Jesus as Lord, as they go through the tribulation period, then they, a spirit of supplication is going to be poured out upon Jerusalem. And they will look upon him whom they have pierced and they will mourn because of him. And they will say, yes, he was the one. <laughs> and they will be ready for his return at the end of the tribulation with us, his bride, to rule and reign on David's throne for that glorious last era of human history, the millennial reign of Christ, for that thousand years. And so Israel has not finished. And even in our lifetime, the Lord has gradually been bringing them back to the land. Or oh, in unbelief for many of them, yes. But the Lord is bringing his purposes about <clears throat> in the whole world. But for us, we're the church. We're the people of God in this era. We have the truth. The Lord has spoken to us. Are we guilty of any of the condemnations that Jesus had for the leaders in that era? Are we those who are more interested in our own comfort and well-being than declaring the word of God? Dear friends, my passion is this. The church's job is to declare the word of God. Thus says the Lord. Not to become social centers, although being socially minded is absolutely right. It's the function of the gospel. But ultimately, we want the world to know what God is saying. And because those Pharisees and, and so on were not preaching it, Jesus preached it to the crowds, to the, the multitudes there in Jerusalem, and said, this is the condemnation on this age. 
may we still have that sense of repentance for the way in which we failed to declare, declare God's glory. Rather seeking God for the blessings that we have, that we want, instead of saying, Lord, may we be the people that you can use to speak to the world. And when we have that attitude, once again, I'm sure the, uh, the, the, the anointing of the Holy Spirit will really come upon the church, even in these last days, before we enter a time of judgment on this age. May the Lord bless you as you consider these things. It's God's word, and it's God's word to us today. May the Lord bless you. I'm very grateful to the musicians for changing the last hymn, which we're now going to have.